were operating globally. And for the Startup Life event, it was actually an occasion because I have this brilliant group of peers in our MBA course, uh, which actually made me believe that this is possible, that everything is possible. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the new episode of VEU Executive Academy podcast, where we give you exclusive insights from some of the brightest leaders today who all have one thing in common. They are or were students of our MBA programs. I'm Chadamir Pushica, your host, and it is my task to ask the right questions so that you can learn more about the person, their industry, their mindset, and how they manage to bring positive change to businesses and their communities. Valentin graduated from Moscow State University, majoring in Chinese economy. He lived in China and worked on building bridges between two countries from both perspectives, political and business. All in all, he was involved in this for seven years of his professional life, and now he's venturing into a new business of his own, a speech synthesis startup, VoxCube. During the recent event, Startup Live Global in Vienna, VoxCube was recognized as one of the leading startups of the event and received a special winner award. Valentin was always told that it is essential to start something of his own, but he was running away from that idea. Only the MBA studies at the VEU made him change his decision. Vale, welcome to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. As our listeners might have already guessed from the introduction, we will be talking about entrepreneurship today, at least for the good part of our conversation, but we'll cover other areas as well. First of all, there are two things that I want to congratulate you on. You just married a few days ago, so congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And welcome to the club. <laughs> the second set of congratulations goes to you for winning the special winner award. And can you tell us something about the competition itself and how you decided to take part in it and something about your promising startup? First about the startup. It is actually a spin-off company from the traditional localization studio of my stepfather. So, and we, uh, yeah, at one point of time, we understood that, well, There is another way of providing the voiceover services, and this is uh, speech synthesis. When the company, this, it is called Cyrillica, started developing a software, a speech synthesis software, and then we realized that, well, we are not that IT-ish guys to be able, you know, at this point of time, to be able to compete with companies with multi-million dollar investments in the sphere. So we decided to switch our proposition from the SaaS business to service business. And this is what we're doing now. We are providing voiceover services, neural voiceover services with VoxCube for different companies, for corporates, for educational companies, for startups entering new markets or operating globally. And for the Startup Life event, it was actually an occasion because I have this brilliant group of peers in our MBA course, uh, which actually made me believe that this is possible, that everything is possible. Shall and we tell their names? Yeah, sure. It's Ingo, it's Benjamin, it's Alexandru, and it's Dmitri. Guys, I love you very much. <laughs> yeah, and I can confirm they're, they're awesome guys. I, I really love them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we were having one of our meetings on VoxCube and Mitri said that, oh, there, there will be an event, Startup Life. Go check that out. And the same evening, I went to their webpage, uh, filled in the form, and I was like, okay, that might be interesting. 
Then they approached me back saying that you got pre-selected. Let's have a call. We had a call. And all of a sudden, I'm in Vienna again, pitching it and becoming the part of the Zero 21 Accelerator program, which starts in the mid of May. So that's awesome. And looking speaking, forward. speaking about our peers, you know, it, it's really amazing this power of the network we're having and the people we met during our course. And I can also say that thanks to them. And one evening, I remember we were having dinner with uh, Benjamin and Ingo. And I was talking also about entrepreneurship and stuff. And they did point me as well to the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute. And that's the great thing about being there together, going through this story together. So yeah, I'll go back to our MBA program and the Entrepreneurship Innovation one that you're actually pursuing. And graduating soon, right? Yeah, soon. <laughs> good, good. So be before that, I want to ask you, why were you always hesitant about starting something of your own? That's a very good question. Is I never thought that I have something special inside of me, you know, to be able to kickstart something on my own. I was always very comfortable with someone overseeing me. Not like telling me what to do on a daily basis, but, you know, but setting the vector, saying that we are going in that direction. You do whatever you want, but you get us there. And I was very much all right with that. I'm basically still all right with it. I still believe that this is a one way of making it happen. But I didn't even think of myself as someone capable of actually setting the vector, of actually, yeah, telling someone that, we're going that direction. Do whatever you want. Just just take us there. For eight years of my life, this way of working worked, actually. And it was all right for me. It was all right for those people I worked with. And then during the MBA course, during the specialization, the beginning of our specialization, our great professor, uh, Peter Kynes, he introduced us to, to a couple of projects capstone projects which we were to choose to work through through the year and then he said well you can present something of your own and that was the moment when we st only started discussing voxcube here in moscow and, and i thought well why not let, let, let's try it out at least at least i can try and pitch it what's the worst that might happen no one will raise their hands to join me so I pitched it, and then I seen you know, Ingop raised his hand, uh, Dmitry and Benjamin and Alexandra, and I was like, okay, if those guys, uh, they seem to be pretty smart ones. <laughs> if if they think that's viable, then it might be actually viable. And then we start, yeah, and then and then everything uh, rolled out. So that's <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I, I just you know this this MBA course and those guys actually they made me feel the ground beneath my feet. So. They made me feel like, like I'm standing on a solid ground, at least with what I have already. So I decided that, ah, let's try it. That's a good decision. And I remember when you talked about it some time ago, you were having a different business model, as you mentioned. You, you were thinking about providing it as a service, but a ser software as a service. But now you're moving in a different direction. What changed? Who influenced this change? Or shall we call it like kind of a pivot even though you haven't even started yeah yeah a pre-pivot or, or, or pre -pivot, something yeah <laughs> yeah what happened um, yeah well as i briefly told you this 
if you look at the landscape of speech synthesis companies out there, you will spot a lot of different companies, actually. There are big players like Amazon, like Google or, or, or Microsoft. They are all doing something in this direction. Someone more, someone less, but still. And then there are startups in this area with actually huge investments with, with uh, the, one of the most prominent ones, Wellsed Labs. They, they, they raised a 10 million round last summer. So all in all, there are a lot of companies doing speech synthesis and some of them are very successful in this. And that's when we understood that competing with those guys, it's a, not a nonsense, but at least at this point of time, it's not, you know, we don't have a leverage in this. And shockingly enough, well, not shockingly enough, but the, but the moment when we realized that, it was actually during the course, it was actually during the lecture we had. And I remember this moment, I actually had to stand up and walk out of the room because I was like overwhelmed and I had to, to think about it. And I thought that, okay, so what we might do actually, what, what, what's our main competence with the 15 or the 20 years of localization experience behind our backs with the parent company doing localization on a very professional basis? What is our main advantage? And it is working with the sound. It is creating the sound, right? Not the IT part of it, but the delivery part of it, I would say. Because, well, with every software there is, in order to create someone human-like, someone very close to a human voice, you need to possess special skills. You need to know the SSML, which is the special data labeling language for speech synthesis. And you need to know your way around digital audio workshops, which are the software used for audio editing. If, if you do it just bluntly, uh, with the software, depending on the software you use, you will receive more or less good quality of the sound. But you will still be able to hear those machine artifacts. You will be st still able to distinguish it from the human voice. And what we do is we create, we have our own software, so we create the speech out of the text. So we do the text to speech part, and then we do it with the SSML tags and with everything, and then we fine tune it on the post-production process. So the output audio sounds like the human voice. And that's, sorry, that's going too deep in that already. But so you asked when it switched and why it switched. It switched right after we started to think that we are able to ship our software. And right before we shipped it, we understood that we need to change the idea. Because the software is not the leverage or the competitive advantage here, but the leveraging of this software is the competitive advantage for us. That's amazing. This is what the courses really provide you with. Some lessons, some lectures that we receive on a certain subject. And it's not only you experiencing it. There are other colleagues who would just tell me, okay, there was this idea that I heard during the course and I just wandered off in my thoughts and started writing down some things that have completely different areas as well, some, some idea that sparked their thinking process about where they can improve their own company or whatever it is that they're doing. So this is a very, very valuable point in these, in these lessons. 
So that's an amazing answer. And you said you don't want to go too deeply into the technical details, but I actually think it is a really interesting field. And I would like to ask you, where do you get the human voice from? Do you have a database? I think you once mentioned that you have a database of, let's say, different voices. And uh, how does that actually work? Because sometimes I heard those generated text-to-speech, how to say, audio files, which Mm -hmm. really sound great. I'm really wondering how does that really work from the technical point of view as well? So basically, from the technical point of view, if you want to create a good quality synthetic voice, so you need to train the model, right? And what do you train it with? The data set consists basically of two parts. And the first part is the actual audio or the actual recording of an actual person. The second part of it is the text, which is being pronounced by this person, labeled in a special way and with the, all the phonemes, the phonetical part, the phonetical alphabet, marked up or, or labeled properly. So you fit it into the model, you fit it into the machine, And basically, the model tries to extract those phonemes from the sound. But in order to achieve the quality, you need to have... Well, there are different things and there are different uh, ways to do it. But generally speaking, you need to have at least 15 to 20 hours of recorded speech. It needs to be very consistent. By consistent, I mean you need to have the same microphone for the whole 20 hours. You need to have the same environment, no noises, nothing, just pure voice. And fortunately enough, that's that's what the parent company can provide us with because they have a huge data <laughs> with this. They have, I don't know, thousands of hours of voice and thousands of texts synced with those audios. And this is the beauty of it. But the ugliness of it is, again, that we're not the IT guys yet. I'm always putting yet in this. So we don't have the model itself. So we use our partners to create voices. And we have different partners in it, in this. And we use their machines, their voices, to, to uh, the, their models to create the voices. Sorry, you yep. mean new voices, right? New voices. Yeah, I mean, I mean new voices. Yeah. And this is one part of the deal. And, and the other part is we'll actually aggregated the best voices available on the market from uh, Amazon Polly, from Microsoft, from Google, from some Chinese iFly tech, for example, even Russian ones like Yandex. So we aggregated the best voices from our perspective and we use them. Do you mean well. the best voices that are machine produced or actual actors? No, machine produced, machine produced. So, And did you match that to the already existing set of thousands of hours of your human voiceover talent to, to create these models? Or No, I mean, those we agree, they are already done. So they you can just connect them via API. You don't need to train anything, nothing. Just connect them and you're good to go. And yeah. where does the database of Cyrillica and its localization team come into play and how does that improve the machine output then? 
If you want to create a new voice, then we use the database of Cyrillica, or we create a new one if we want a particular one. For example, we, we have this a very prominent Russian voiceover actor. He mainly does documentaries, and he used to work a lot with Cyrillica. And we said, let's create your voice. And so we recorded him 40 hours. So we created the, we recorded the voice, we labeled up the text, we fit it to one of our partners' model, and we received his voice, and now we're using it to voice over content for the Russian market. How much time does it take to pinpoint these phonemes, to map the, the phonemes of, let's say, a 30-hour? I would say that good enough data set for making a voice not on the training part, on, on the model training part, but on the dataset creation, will take about a month or a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And how many different voices do you have now? All in all, we have 200 plus voices in 30 plus languages. That was my next question. So 30 <laughs> plus languages. Yeah. And are you looking for new partners or new voiceover talent, human voiceover talent, other languages, or are you now trying to grow the market in the existing ones? No, we're, we're actually working with the 30 plus languages. We actually majorly, we do work with English, Portuguese, both European and Brazilian, Spanish, both Castilian and Latin American, French and German. So those are the most usable ones and i don't think we will in in any time soon we will work towards developing new languages yeah and now you you're practically ready you're on the market and who are the clients who contact you and what kind of content do they want you to provide the the voiceover for that's a good question are we on the market or are we not and (laughs) so we are now doing it with the direct B2B or uh, outbound sales. But the whole idea is, is to launch the platform, the platform that will connect you as a client with a dedicated neural voiceover artist who will take care of your project, of your job. And that's the part we've been working for the last, I don't know, uh, six months or, uh, or, or five months. And that's the part we've been working inside our MBA group as well. And Ingo, if you are listening to this, <laughs> please, please don't be mad. Um, I'm still brushing up the platform. <laughs> That's, yeah, I know the principle, do it fast and dirty, right? Just test it and test it and test it. But I can help, you know, toggling it or, or just brushing up a bit and it will be ready in <laughs> tomorrow tomorrow yeah so so yeah and the whole idea is, is to switch it from outbound to inbound basically so practically the work that you are doing now in-house practically providing the service you want other people with that kind of competencies to be providing the service to the client. yeah basically yeah basically and as per the customer segments right so there is one more thing to be said about the technology, about the speech synthesis technology. It is limited in terms of mimicking the real human speech. So you won't have those in emotion transfers, in inflections and everything. It is impossible to replicate our dialogue right now. 
because we have these ups and downs and drops and you know those artifacts like oh, what no and and this is the, this is impossible to replicate with uh, speech synthesis now at this point of time so the most suitable content for for the speech synthesis is the neutral type of content and the neutral type of content is educational videos right is training videos or how to's or some promo materials even or those things you know like announcements in the subway or in a public places anywhere and this is what we target we target two segments educational and corporate yeah so educational companies with their educational videos entering different markets different segments whatever and with corporates with their internal content, which is how-tos, safety videos, you name it, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, why would anyone select you or any speech synthesis company instead of going with uh, human artists? In every pitch training sessions I had, they always say that cheaper and faster is not an advantage. You have to do something else. You have to give us something else. But imagine yourself as a company with a global operations distribution. And you have a safety video or, or, or a how-to video. And you need to distribute it across 15 localities or five. In English, in German, in French, in Portuguese, and in, in Spanish. And you need to, to do it in two weeks because, well, you just need... That's not your major task, right? And then you think, okay, so what do I need to do? I need to translate those videos first. So I need, I need an interpreter for Spanish, for, for Portuguese, for German, and for French. Okay, I can go to the agency. The agency will be a bit more expensive, but it will do everything as I say. And then you think, okay, then I need to voice over it. But I need a, like, I, I need a voice. I, I need a, a compelling voice. Okay, I can go either to the freelance market, but then I have to audition like a couple of factors at least, all right? About 10 or 20 to be more realistic. And, and then I have to manage them, right? I, I need to set the deadline and everything. Or I can go to the agency that will be pretty expensive, but they will do everything as, as, as I say. And then I need what? And then I need to master it. And then I need to merge the video with the audio all of the five languages okay that will i need someone to do that as well but that will take some time and, and and again that's not your major project right and it unfolds 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 and it becomes not only expensive in terms of money but it becomes expensive in terms of your time because you need to keep it in mind and, and if you go to freelance market the quality might be good yes but the deadlines might not be faced here and we say guys say no more we got it covered so basically we will do it faster because you don't have to you don't have to go to all of those players you don't have to search for all of those interpreters sound designers sound or voice actors or whatever right we'll cover it we'll do it for you and then we say okay guys with with our technology with speech synthesis you don't need to re-record everything if you don't like the end result we'll just replace one word it's possible just say it and we'll do it in 20 minutes. That's it. That's and, and, and then, yeah, coming back, it's actually pretty damn cheap and pretty damn fast. <laughs> so it is really about speed 
And it is about money, after all. I mean, that in this case, I can clearly see it now as a huge advantage to those companies. And just like you explained, I would imagine months and months that companies would actually have to invest into getting a final product and then whether they're unhappy with the result or no, like they yeah. would have to stick with it more, more most probably. Otherwise. Yeah, you know, well, that's unlike me, good entrepreneurs, they do test and they do retest very quickly. So, and, the, and, the, and this is where you don't want to, 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 to all that hustle of, of, of finding everyone. And one of our clients, they've been testing their content across different ge- geographies like rapidly and 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 if 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 they were to 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 take it with the traditional actors they won't be able to do it so 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 rapidly therefore we'll spend more time more more money or lose the potential profit that they might have gained if they did it faster so that in the languages uh, that you cover i kind of missed italian Ah, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think Italy is probably uh, number one nation when it comes to dubbing. They have the best actors when they dub the movies or anything. It is very, very often better than the original. And, and, and it's amazing. Actually, they have this school, the dubbing school, uh, where the most famous actors are involved and really they are amazing so please do go to italy and uh, hire some of their actors in particular luca baldi okay. everybody, everybody <laughs> loves luca baldi and he, he has a really amazing voice so you know just for the generations that will be that will come you, you want to have a voice like that <laughs> so, <laughs> so cool and speaking about languages now what i want to uh, mention really is that you speak Chinese and for someone who learned Chinese as a second language you have my absolute admiration (laughs) how did that happen (laughs) when and why did you decide that Chinese and China was the way to go for you that's that's the question I still I'm still trying to answer (laughs) 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 There, there, there actually was no particular reason so when I was in high school, I had this yellow pad in front of me and me and my mother, we were talking about like, okay, so where do you want to, what do you want to do next? And so you're graduating from high school, what, what university do you want to choose? And I had on that yellow pad, I had like the actor to, to become an actor, to become, <laughs> a, to become a journalist, to go to the med school. And to go to, 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 to my institute to, 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 to learn Chinese and to take a year off. And all options. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, and all options felt very valid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was like, and my, my mother were, oh, if you don't, so if, if you're hesitating, you, you, come on, you, you want to be an actor and, you, and there is Chinese, so just, just. Make up your mind, gentlemen. <laughs> and she said, take, take a year off. Just, just take a year off, a gap year. But, and she was very for, in for this. But there is something to know about Russia. We don't have this, this in culture. This is not common for, for, for young people to take a gap year. And this is actually perceived as, as, as a bad thing. Especially, well, 
uh, 10 years ago, it was like this uh, for sure. And I was like, no, well, year off? No, all of my friends will be studying in the university and I will be doing some crazy shit elsewhere. No, I won't. That That's out of the question. And then it was, okay, I really I really wanted to be to, to become an actor. I really like this this profession and I really like the the... the the setting of of, of of the industry. I actually married a movie producer, so... so maybe one day your dreams... Yeah. Will <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and then my mother said, you know, like, okay, so... You can always switch to become an actor. Or you can always switch and go and learn and teach yourself how to become an actor if you feel like this is your passion, right? But there will be, in future, there will be less and less time to learn something fundamental, to set the basis for your, for, 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 for your uh, future learnings or, or whatever. And this is, somehow, this basis turned out to be China, Chinese, and Chinese economy. So, yeah, and I finally, finally applied for the Institute of Asian and African Studies uh, and decided to to learn Chinese. And did you? I think you lived in China as well for how many years? No, it was. Uh, it, it's not not years. It's almost a year. I lived in Shanghai. And it's a hell of experience. <laughs> Can you tell us something more about it? Yeah, it's it's a whole different different world actually, and it is you know. Li- I would put it this way: I have a lot of friends and uh, a lot of people I know who work with China and who 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 develop their careers and and who have brilliant careers in this in this in this sphere, and they all. And they're all doing different stuff. But the the one thing they share, the one thing they have in common is they that they absolutely adore China. They adore the culture. And they, you know, they just, they are very into it. And speaking for myself, not that much. It's not that I don't like it. And it's not that I... I it, I just not that much into it because it's 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 a completely different world and uh, it's completely different traditions and completely different you know mentality and, and, and everything which is which is which is very interesting which is fascinating and the history of China man that's crazy and and all the processes happening right unfolding right now in China is it's mind blowing but not just that into it mm-hmm. that and that's that's why i finally decided to 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 step off that that road because but what yeah. did, what did you do in china so uh, when i was living there i was studying there i i had a <laughs> i had a gap year ironically enough in in in, in china in shanghai in fudan university and then when I came from China, came back from China, I, I actually came back for a winter break and I received a job, I received a job offer. 
and uh, the job offer for the Russian Chinese Committee for Peace, Friendship and Development. That sounds that, interesting. That's a tongue breaker. Yeah, or, or that, that, that is a, that is a how's that said? Public diplomacy, mm-hmm. a public diplomacy institute, which is building bridges between different spheres of bilateral relations, except for the commercial ones. Okay. It's, well, connections in sports, exchanges in sports, in culture, in science, everything, but not for the uh, economical stuff. And I've been working there for four years. Yeah, for four years. It was extremely fun. It was extremely fun. And we had different projects all over China, all over yeah, China and all over Russia. And we met with Xi Jinping and Putin when they, when they met in, 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 in Moscow. And it was a hell, of, a hell of a ride. It was very interesting. And I spent, I, I, I've been flying to China for three or four times a month back and forth. And one, one, one time I even, I even flew to China for eight hours. So uh, I, took, I, took, <laughs> I took a 16 hours flight with with an with an intercharge in Seoul, just just to catch an an eight hour meeting in 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 Harbin and go back, and wow. it was crazy. It, it was crazy. It was very interesting. <laughs> and then I switched, and when I uh, then I switched to to a commercial part of 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 Russia Russian Chinese relationship. So and we had the. So we were creating a consulting practice to help Russian companies enter Chinese market and Chinese companies enter Russian market through education. So the like like the executive education built on main three pillars, and the first one is well business practice and the business context, and then culture and networking. So through 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 the business context, through through the you know like. For example, we had this crazy project with one of the uh, Russian companies where we came, went to... I'm actually not sure whether I'm allowed to say it still. <laughs> so there was a crazy project where we went to a, v- a very interesting construction site in in China, which is uh, was mind-blowing. And and then we, we... So we basically, what we did is, is that we, to a Russian company, we showed that there is a special construction culture and the uh, practice of managing construction projects in China. And this was the business practice, like managing the, the, the construction sites. And then it was connected to the culture, to the culture of, of, of working, of generally working in China and how, how the work is being perceived in China and why is it uh, allowed, or not allowed, but, but how it can be possible that buildings like the skyscrapers are being built within a month or, or I don't know, two months or something like that. And then networking. And then networking, and by networking, we mean, so we met with different business practi- practitioners uh, from different construction companies. We met with, 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 with state officials who are in the sphere. We went to some construction sites to speak with 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 people on the site how it works and so yeah and that and that that was the the main 
idea of this whole enterprise or, or endeavor to, to, to build bridges between Russia and China. And it was two-sided. So, so in two, we, we, we went to China with Russian companies and we brought Chinese companies to Russia. And now just to transition into my next question, which is always about communication. And that one is, during all this time in China, were there any misunderstandings due to the cultural aspects? Like, for example, you speak the same language, let's say, but the background, the cultural background may influence the interpretation of the message. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe I'm just saying China, but it can be anywhere else. That's a very good question. I don't recall on the top of my head. But what I do remember, though, is we had a case. So we went to Tencent with my boss. And at one point of time, we became so lazy that we started to think that, well, we'll speak English there. You know, we'll, we'll speak English. Well, it's Tencent. That's, that's the huge company. Well, the international company, they all speak English there for sure. Let's just go there. So we meet with the senior VP of FinTech. It's a very beautiful building, 40th floor or, or something. So we enter the, the room and the Chinese part on, on one side, me and my boss on the other side. And then they say, where's your, where's your interpreter? And we say, well, we don't have one. We thought that we will be speaking English. They said, no, SVP of FinTech, he doesn't speak English. And he's a 40 years old guy. No. And all of a sudden, we understood that we are not ready to speak about what we want to speak in Chinese. Because, well, we are not prepared to this. And should I mention that this meeting was blown off? And it was, it was a chance that we blew. Because we actually were preparing this meeting for a couple of months. Wow. We're preparing this meeting. We were knocking on every door possible to get this meeting. Wow. And that's, you know, that's the moment when you hear the glass breaking inside you. And well, eventually we did manage to restore relationships a couple of months later. But that's the lesson I've learned that always come prepared. Always come prepared, especially if you've been trying to get to this for a couple of months already. But that's not for the, the, for the communication or for the lost in translation part. That's for the um, general the, cultural. The general culture, yeah. yeah. And now speaking of which, I don't know if you had a chance to read Phil Knight's autobiography, uh, Shoe Dog. Uh, yeah, I did. Oh man, I love that part yeah. when, he, when he describes, he was probably the first American company to enter the Chinese market. And it was amazing that, I don't know who it was, but it was somebody in Washington, I think, who knew China and knew how you had to present your offer the like to, to write a, an entire book and to present it to the government officials just in order to be introduced to the political structures and officially be allowed to enter China. And all these things may sound ridiculous if you live in the US, I think, and in most part of the world, but that's how they operate. And if they yeah. do it like that, you have to obey. And uh, that's why they were given access to the Chinese market. You have to be very, very <laughs> official and 
prepared. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, I just remembered. So I have a friend uh, that's one of she's one of my best friends, and uh, she's a girlfriend of my best friend, and and they are all sinologists. They are they all study Chinese. And so, and she used to buy clothes from China, from Taobao, and, and sell it here in Russia. That's what her business started with. <laughs> and there is a phrase in Chinese which sounds like and, and this means, well, more or less. Uh, that, that's pretty much. And, <laughs> and she always told us these stories like, she was ordering, I don't know, a hundred pieces of white trousers or something. And then the box arrives and they find that the, the trousers are not white, but red. And they text their suppliers like, what the hell? And they said, well, well more or less, you know, well, just uh, white, red. Well, the, the, what, what's the big difference? And that's, <laughs> yeah, that's something, <laughs> something which is very, very common to meet in China, which is, not nah, why bother? Uh, jeans, jeans. Can you wear it? You can. White, red, what's the difference? Man, come on, just <laughs> sell it. <laughs> that's, that's, I think, one of those things that Phil Knight mentions also in his book. When they went to the factories that they, they were interested in, in acquiring, if I remember well, they didn't even care about the shoe colors. If, they, if one shoe was one color and the other yeah. one was another, it was just like totally okay for them. Or even like sometimes I, I think he mentioned sizes were like, yeah, are they more or less? <laughs> okay more or less. That, that describes basically everything, more or less. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. And yeah, it's funny. Now I want to go back to present day. Yeah. We mentioned you're about to graduate from the VEU professional MBA in entrepreneurship and innovation. How was your overall experience? And especially, I think this is important for people who are planning to start their journey, their MBA journey, who are probably considering which specialization to choose. How would you say your experience was? What is the most important thing and your biggest takeaway, let's say? I would say that, well, if, if, if I am to, to, to give an advice to, to, to someone thinking or considering to, to, to go for an MBA program, I would definitely say go for it. Not for the knowledge, but of course, that's, that's the essential part of it and that's very important. Not for the, for the MBA part, not for the, you know, for the for the MBA trigger or, or, or something, but actually for the people you meet there. And this might be a very cheesy thing to say, but actually the people whom I met there uh, and whom I still meeting, the most valuable thing I got from the course, because, and, and actually it, it helped me so many times already in my life. For the past two years, it proved to be so, well, if, if we're just, you know, if you're just speaking in terms of payouts, whether the MBA investment had payouts thousands of times already. But that's, yeah, if we're speaking about the, the specialization, 
I have the well, entrepreneurship and innovation one. And I actually think that I've, I've been talking to different guys and I, I think that's the most, if you're considering becoming you know, an entrepreneur or studying something on your own, that's the way to go because it is, I think it is the most practical one. You just imagine. So for the last seven months, I've been working on my project, both in my professional life and in my educational life. And that's a huge contribution, huge contribution to the process. Without the efforts that have been put into the educational parts of the project, I would still be, I don't know, years away from where we are now, because it's a very valuable contribution. And the content that we receive, again, it, it makes you think about your venture in a slightly different way. Every new module makes you consider something differently. And it's a very hands-on experience you receive there. So, yeah, definitely worth it. Definitely, I would recommend this to anyone who is considering it. And the most important part, the people you meet there, which is amazing, which is just crazy amazing. I have the same the same thing to say. And if somebody asked me, I would say, repeat your words, word for word. It's really people, of course, knowledge. Amazing. And, and actually, yeah, this, this one's to you. So I'm actually, today, I'm living my dream. I always wanted to be a part of a podcast. Wow. This is the first time. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is the first time. And, and then... <laughs> dreams start coming true. And, and yeah. very soon, probably, I'm, I'm just waiting for some movie where you will be the, you know, the lead actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, man. So now, from present day, I want you to go back when you were a kid and mm-hmm. were like seven years old or 15, or any formative age that you think is important, when you had to make a decision about your career or life, or but you lacked certain information, what was the information you wish you, you had had at the, at the point? Like, really, speaking about seven years old, they're full of imagination. They think about you know, becoming astronauts or stuff, uh, but they don't know how the world works. What would you let's say even 15 or maybe 18, I don't know, like what information was key for you that you wish you had had? So two parts. First, for the seven-year-old kid, I would, I would say that yeah, go big. You want to be a cosmonaut, just yeah, go for it. Just, just, just think that way. Don't hesitate. And for the 15-year-old me or 17-year-old me, I would say, I don't care. Just don't bother that much. Just do what you got to do and it will lead you. Don't focus your attention so much on that you want to earn money or that you want to be someone. Just live your damn life and that will do. <laughs> that, that, that would be my, my question. Because I, I, actually, well, I actually remember and, and I still have this focusing so much on and even well, depressing so much on this question like who am i what am i doing what am i going to do like nah that's not the question you should be asking actually the question you should be asking is what do i do now 
How do I make fun now? That's good advice. That's Just, good advice. Yeah, I would definitely tell this to myself. Excellent. Now, if you had, let's say, now again, back to, we're switching a little bit, mm-hmm. back to business or life. If you had $10,000 or euros to invest into something right now in your business, in a department or in your personal life or whatever, where would you put that money? Marketing. Straight ahead. Just marketing. 100%. Awesome. I would buy myself an ice cream but, <laughs> and, and, and my team an ice cream and then go for marketing like full bonanza. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect answer. So Vale, thank you so much for this conversation. It was really so full of insights and I, and I really appreciate it. really enjoyed it. Would you say something else to wrap up things and also where can people find you on social media? Or the uh, website of your company? Voxcube.com. If you need some localization, just ping us. So V-O-X. Uh, V-O-X-U-U-B-E.com. Perfect. It says we're launching soon, and we are. <laughs> yeah, but to wrap it up, thank you very much. Again, just one more dream became true. That's great. Yeah, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing you and to seeing our friends, our mutual friends in Vienna. I will be in Vienna starting May 12th and ready to meet everyone. Perfect. So <laughs> let's let's meet, guys. You heard, yeah. you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, Valentin. All right, cheers. Thank you. Hello again. Thank you for listening to this episode of VEU Executive Academy podcast, Know How to Inspire. Now, one more thing before you go. Please subscribe to our channel on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, or check out our website at www.executiveacademy.at forward slash podcast. That is executiveacademy.at forward slash podcast. Last but not least, spread the word, because the more you share knowledge, the more inspiring it gets.